man. Okay, so we're going to start in chapter three there. Uh, we've, we've done a great job of going through previously four churches uh, tonight, verse one, chapter three. And this is the Lord speaking. He says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wow, powerful words. What does all that mean? Well, remember Sardis, uh, that was a church, that was a, a place that actually was built very st structurally sound, very safe militarily. It was on a firm foundation, literally on a bluff, a thousand foot high bluff. So. They felt invincible, although they did get conquered in 549 B.C. by Cyrus, and 300 years later, again, they got conquered. So they were not inevitable, but they felt like they were. And so with that false sense of security, oh, you, you think you're alive, but deep down, you're, you're dead. And Jesus says here, he goes, these are the things that he says, who has the seven spirits of God. Now, you might remember that phrase from chapter 1. Remember, every reference of Jesus Christ in chapter 1 is repeated in chapters 2 and 3. And so this is an example of that. We saw the seven spirits of God mentioned before. What is that? Well, we remember that that is the seven spirits of, or the sevenfold spirits of God himself. Where's that found? Well, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, if you want to take just a second, we can turn back there. I don't think we did this last time, but Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And you can do a, a deeper study on that when time permits, but nonetheless, that's where we find that. It's the sevenfold spirit of God himself listed there, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And he says, that's the one who's speaking to you, Sardis. Why? The spirit of God. Well, it would seem clear that as we read further, uh, we might get uh, a little clue here. It says there that you, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Name in the Greek is onama, and that's where we get our word denomination. Interesting. See, this is the time frame of the church in history around the Reformation. You might remember Martin Luther, who nailed his thesis to the university there in Germany because with all of these studies that he had gone through and realized, he says, man, there's just something missing. And he wasn't the only one. Through the Reformation uh, time frame in history, the church was going through uh, in medieval times a very dark period. But from that came certain denominations that even today still can draw their roots back to the Protest Protestants, Presbyterian, Methodist, all of these types of denominations can draw their roots back to this time frame, and they're even here with us today. 
I was born and raised Baptist, and I, I love the Baptists. We sang hymns, and I, I have a very fond, very loving adoration for the Baptists, because that's my history. That's where I come from. I don't consider myself Baptist anymore, but I do understand and have a fondness for them. However, one of the things that I do remember always being called is because we're Baptist, we're the frozen chosen. And you're like, what does that mean? As a kid, I just thought it was kind of funny. It rhymed. But the frozen chosen, where the Baptists were the frozen chosen, and one of the reasons why we uh, kind of called, called them that, or they're called that, or I was called that, is because when it comes to things of the Spirit, they just don't really get into that whole realm very deep, or at least they didn't when I was a kid. I remember as a child, um, when it came to things like speaking in tongues, right, the gifts of the Spirit, whoa, whoa, we, we, we don't go there. Well, why not? Well, because that had its time and, and its place back in Jesus' day and, and during those times. It did? Yeah. So we don't, really, we don't really get into that. Again, not bashing the Baptists, but I was told that. I was born and raised, and that we didn't really get into that whole thing. And then um, 16 years old, I, I meet Amy at school, and I was able to go to church with her on Wednesday nights, and we went to Calvary Chapel. And in Calvary Chapel, sometimes they have what's called a believer's meeting. And um, the first thing I noticed when I walked into a Calvary Chapel was I saw a drum set on the stage. And I was like, what's that doing up there? <laughs> I mean, we had pianos and organs, and that's it. That's the only percussion instrument uh, that we had. Um, we didn't have drums because we don't do the beat. No, no, no. That box that my son plays, that wouldn't have happened. So that was the first thing I saw. And then one time, I remember going to a believers meeting, and I heard things of people talking this weird language that nobody seemed to understand except one person in the crowd. And I was freaked out. It did freak me out, I'll be honest. But here's the deal. Does the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, the tongues, and interpretation and those things. Do they have a place in today's church? Yes, absolutely. We would have these believers meetings. And then as I became more educated in that realm and in that area, I realized like, wow, that is amazing stuff. If there's a person that has the gift of tongues and they're using that and God's using that and there's an interpretation, wow, the Holy Spirit is moving and the gifts. Of, so the spirit is here. And there's a, a, a spark, life, that you feel alive. And if you shut that off and say, oh, no, 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 we don't go there, that's a part of God's word that we're shutting off and we're dying to. Oh, you think you're alive, but you're dead. You know, the gospel is simple. It's simple. What is it about us that we have to, and I say us, I mean mankind, that throughout the history and throughout the ages, we have to add to the gospel? And that's what you happen to find out and you see in denominations, 
what they find out is they leave the simplicity of the gospel and they kind of start getting wrapped up into what? Customs, traditions, vain babblings and repetitions of traditions and stuff. And they start gravitating to that, what we've seen throughout history. And all of a sudden, the gifts of the spirits, well, we don't touch that. We leave the simplicity of the gospel. And what is that? There's a God out there who loves you and me so much that he gave the one thing he only had one of. Oh, well, you want gold? You want He could have had planets of gold or, or precious stones or whatever the case. If, that's what, if that would have been the price. But no, what it took was it took his, the one thing he had one of, and that was his son. And God said, I'm going to send him to die for you and for me. And Jesus, the one that was being sent, said, I'll gladly do it. I'll go, and I will willingly lay my life down for that purpose so that we could have eternal life. And once a person understands that, I mean, that's simple. It's got to be simple because I'm simple. It's got to be really easy. But what happens is we gravitate away from that, and this is what we've seen through history, and we start getting into all of these deeper meanings and all of these things, and what happens is we leave the simplicity of the gospel, and we think we're alive because, oh, look at how much we know and what we've come up with, and what it really comes down to is you're dead. And that's what he's saying to Sardis. He goes, you think you're alive, but you're dead, and all of your custom and your tradition and and you've left the true, real meaning of what was supposed to be said and done in the first place. Verse 2, be watchful. Of all people, they needed to be. They were conquered twice, <laughs> and they were conquered when they weren't watching. Oh, in our rock-solid teachings and customs, we're, we're good to go. Be watchful, Jesus says, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Oof. But remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's, again, a reminder for you and me, the church today, the bride. We have ears to hear. We're hearing this now. And we are wondering, okay, Lord, don't let me move away from the simplicity of the gospel. Don't let me gravitate away from that simple message. Instead, let me embrace that 
and let me understand your whole spirit of who you are. Reveal and refresh to me. Oh, I want the best gifts. Not do I want to push those gifts away because they're kind of odd to me, perhaps. No, I want the best gifts. Lord, give me tongues. Give me interpretation. Give me the best gifts. And that's our prayer. We pray that. Lord, give me the best gifts. And he will give those gifts that he has for you. He'll, he'll give those to you and he will reveal those to you. And oh my goodness. Oh, you'll feel alive in him. A glorious thing. Okay, verse 7. Now we're moving on to the next church. He says there, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now that's a name we're used to hearing. All these other names are kind of foreign to us, but we know Philadelphia. Philadelphia, um, this would be in the time of history of around the 1800s as we look back on church history. This gets us to around the 1800s uh, time frame or era. Um, also, as the modern missionary movements were beginning to fire up, missionaries like William Carey, D.L. Moody, C.H. Spurgeon, all of these missionaries were beginning to, you know, they had a desire to take the, the message and the gospel, not to just where they were locally, but to go out and beyond, as William Carey would want to go to India. And these other missionaries had places that they wanted to go. They had a burning desire in their heart. And we're going to see here, God begins to open the doors there. Philadelphia, we get the word phileo, which is brotherly love. In the Greek, there are different kinds of love, agape, God love, uh, eros, erotic, that was a sensual love. And then, of course, we have phileo, which is brotherly love, our word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. We've heard that. There's a whole history behind that and why it's named that. But it says here, these things, he goes on to say, says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. It sounds like a riddle. It sounds like uh, something we have to figure out, but really it's very simple. It goes back to what is the key of David? What is it? What are we talking about? The key, he, he who has the key of David. You can write this down. You can find that in Isaiah chapter 22. And in Isaiah chapter 22, what you're going to find out is there was a man who was in charge of the treasury and the temple. And what he did was he used, uh, because he was in charge of the treasury, he had access to it. He literally had the key to the treasury. But what he did was he used monies from that treasury to buy things for himself. He bought a sepulcher, he, uh, a tomb for his own self, and chariots. Why those items, I do not know. But nonetheless, that's what he buys. And so Isaiah comes on the scene. God sends him, and he says, you go see that guy. He's a wicked servant. He's been given great responsibility, and he has squandered it. And he's used it for evil means. And so Isaiah confronts him, and he says, what have you been doing? Who, on, who would buy a tomb for themselves? 
who would buy chariots for himself? And there's a curse that goes along with that. But nonetheless, that key of David, it says in Isaiah, is removed from off of his shoulders where it was worn, worn and it was placed on a good servant. And it says literally, quite literally, it repeats that very phrase, so that he who opens and no one shuts, and who shuts and no one opens. That's actually said in Isaiah chapter 22 in reference to that story. It's specifically named the key of David. Now, what does it mean for the church? What does it mean for the church through history? God was opening the door. Remember, these churches are listed in chronological order. And sure enough, as we look back through history, the things that were going on, literally looking back through the portal of time, we found out that they actually happened in that order. Coming out of a church that was dead in their customs and their traditions and vain things that they had created and added to God's word, removing themselves from the simplicity of the gospel. They thought they were so great in all the things that they were doing, but God sees the heart. In actuality, they were dead. These were dark times, medieval times, as the church was going through that. So being entrenched in the denominationalism and, and, and the ritual and the custom, all of a sudden, they're beginning to, there's men that God's moving. There was a stirring going on. And there was these men, like these missionaries, who just had a stirring to, you know what? The gospel's got to be shared. And he put it in their hearts to go out. And they did. They, they wanted to go out. And guess what? God opened the door. What God opens, no one shuts. And what he shuts, no one opens. God was beginning to open the door for these missionaries to go out, and that's where we get our modern missionary movement started right here with this church. It's the church of brotherly love, a love for people so much so that G people were beginning to see other people would know that there was lost people out there that needed the gospel, needed salvation. And God moved in these men's hearts to go out and spread the gospel in such a way that that movement began to take off. Beautiful thing. Verse 8, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. This church is the church of the last days. It's us. The missionary movement's still active. It's still moving. We have missionaries everywhere. Our church supports missionaries. The, the missionaries out there are doing their thing. They're doing what the Lord has called them to do. They're spreading the gospel. They're, they're active and moving. This church is active and moving today. It's the church of the last days. That's you and me. We're in the last days. We're in the last of the last days, I believe. And I think you guys do too as we look at the world around us. But what we're seeing here is it says here you have little strength. That's not an indictment. This is, this is one of two churches that the Lord does not have an indictment or a complaint against. Smyrna would be the other one. So he doesn't have an indictment. This is not an indictment. What it is, it's a fact. You are the church of the last days. You have little strength. It's an observation is all that is. It's an observation. He says, I know you have little strength. 
but I've opened the door and you've gone through it. You've kept my word and you've not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That is an important scripture. That is an important verse. And the reason why is this, because we are the church we are waiting for the return of Christ. Because when Christ returns, we believe in this church, we are a pre-tribulation church. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And this verse tells us that. It says there, he says, you have persevered. And I also will keep you from the hour of trial. Okay, some may say the hour of trouble. But nonetheless, that word keep you from, from in Greek is ek, ek, means out of, quite literally. I will keep you out of the hour of trouble. And it says here too, not just specifically to persecutions or things that they were going through locally in the church of Philadelphia, but it says here upon the whole world, that hour of trouble. There's only one event that matches that description. It's troubles that the whole world will see. That's when the tribulation, God will pour out his judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world. We won't be here for that. He says, I'm going to deliver you from that. You are not appointed to wrath. You and I are not appointed to wrath. We see that in uh, 1 Thessalonians. The Lord says, you're not appointed to wrath. We aren't appointed to wrath. Why? Because wrath was poured out on, it should have been us, it should have been me, but instead it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. That wrath was poured out upon him because he took my place on the cross. And because I believe that, because what we said earlier, there's a God out there who loves you and me so much, he gave what he only had one of, his son, because that was the price to die in my place. And because I realize that, and because I believe that, and I accept that, guess what? Jesus is in my heart. And he has saved me, and he saved you if you believe that too. Instantly, the second you believe that, you're saved. It's glorious, it's a wonderful thing. And so now because of that, we're washed clean, our sins are forgiven, and that wrath that was supposed to come to me won't and doesn't. I'm not appointed to that wrath. Jesus absorbed that wrath for me. And so I'm free in him. I'm free in him. I will spend eternity with him in heaven as his bride. I'm his bride now on this earth, getting to know him through his word, specifically in these chapters. He's revealing himself to us. Revelation, the revealing of himself to the church in these chapters. Lord, what would you have for me to learn out of this? He says, I'm going to keep you from that hour. He's coming back for us. 
Jesus is coming back for us. He's going to rescue us. We're his bride. As Amir says, we have a wedding to get to, and we're the bride. You can't have a wedding without a bride, can you? Amen? That is a very encouraging scripture. It just reinforces the fact that we're just waiting for him. Behold, I am coming quickly. That word quickly can also mean suddenly. Enteke. That is the Greek word where we get our word tachometer. That instrument in your car as you rev up your car and you see that needle go up and down. It's calculating and keeping track of the internal speed of your engine, right? Well, that as you accelerate, that tachometer goes faster and faster and faster because the inner happenings of the motor is, is winding up. And, and that's the idea. It will come quickly. And things in the end days will start to accelerate and happen at a much faster rate. Things are accelerating. Can you sense that? Have you seen that, in, especially in the last few years? You're starting to sense it, and we really are sensing it. And the world thinks, what's going on? Even the world knows something's up. How on earth can all of these things happen all at once globally? You know, these, how can all these nations come together and, and agree on all the, and the world sees it. You and I, wow, we're blown away. Because we are reading the scriptures, we're watching for the Lord, we're not going to be caught off guard, we don't know the day or the hour, but we know the seasons, and we're watching for the signs, and we know, we sense it, Lord, you're coming back. And he tells us right here, I'm coming back quickly, verse 11, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Hang in there. Hey, are you tired? Do you feel worn down? What does he say here? I know you have little strength. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like your strength is like, whew, you're barely hanging on? Jesus knows that. He even says right here, I know you have little strength. He says, but hang in there that you may, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Very cool. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. We'll see that in chapters uh, 21 and 22 when we get there. Weeks and weeks from now. But nonetheless, the new Jerusalem, he'll write a name on us, a new name. Verse 13, our reminder, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, finally, our last church, Laodicea. Verse 14 and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were 
cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Wow. It's powerful. Laodicea was not like Sardis. Sardis was believed to, do, to be infallible because of its location, how it was built. And most cities in that day were literally built with the ability to protect themselves militarily. Laodicea was not. It was not built in a way that they could protect themselves from their enemies, which is unusual for cities of the day. It was a banking central. In other words, they had the money. And usually where money happens, you know, entertainment happens. And if you study and look at pictures of Laodicea, you still see in the ruins uh, coliseums and, uh, you know, things that would indicate that that's where entertainment took place. So they had money, they were rich, and, and all the rest, but what they lacked was the ability to defend themselves from their enemies militarily. So you know what they had to do? They would have to compromise with their enemies. Meet you halfway. Hey, uh, this for that. If you don't attack us, we'll do this, or we'll allow this if you can give us peace. And they would compromise with the enemy, which is interesting because that thought gets carried over to us. What is the indictment? The indictment is you're neither hot nor you're cold nor hot. You're, you're neither one. In Laodicea's sister city, remember Laodicea was about six miles south of Philadelphia, but they had a sister city just on the outskirts and it was called Hierapolis. And Hierapolis has natural hot springs. And so what they would do is they thought, wow, that's really, really hot. And, and that's useful. Hot water is useful, right? We need hot water for tea and coffee and boiling. You can cook food with water, boil eggs and, and whatnot. That's useful. And so they thought the same thing. So they thought, well, cool, we'll build this aqueduct. And this aqueduct, what it was designed to do was to flow this hot, hot, hot water, naturally hot water from the natural hot springs. And they would transport that via the aqueducts through Laodicea and onto Colossae. There was just one problem. It's a great idea, but by the time that water got onto the aqueduct up from the springs and, and traveling through, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was what? Yeah, just lukewarm. And, and it's like, oh gosh, man, I, cold water's cool too. You're at the river, it's like 90 degrees, and it's hot, you're sweating. And it's like, okay, I gotta jump in. And you jump in, and it shocks the life out of you. But you're like, ah, ah, okay, whoo, ah, Now, usually what I like to do in that instance is I like to wait until my wife gets to the point where it's gotta be about 1,000 degrees at that point. 
but I like to wait until she gets to the point where she's so hot that, okay, she has to cool off. So, but what she'll do is she'll like do this thing where she kind of tiptoes into the water and gets her toes in, okay, whoo, and then goes into the ankles, okay, whoo, ha, ha. And then she goes a little further up to her knees and that sort of thing. What I like to do is sit there and just kind of wait. And then I take my sunglasses off. And then I take my phone and put it in the chair pocket. And then I run at Mach 4 to jump into the water right behind her. So, ha, 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 ha. so all that cold water gets splashed all over her. And I, I love doing that. And she knows that. I've done it several times. But now she knows to be on guard. Because now she's watching me as she dips a toe in. You know, and then she'll dip another foot in. And I'm just like grabbing some Cheetos. And I'm acting like, and she goes, no, I know what you're doing. I know what you're thinking. And I'm like, what? Right? So cold water is really a lot of fun in that regard. But it's useful, right? It's refreshing. You know, hot water is really good because you can cook stuff. I can make coffee and tea. And you want hot coffee, right? Have you ever gone to Starbucks and they say, okay, and they'll ask you, do you want that hot or cold? Has Starbucks ever asked you, hey, do you want that lukewarm? You know, you'll say, hey, uh, a frappuccino, okay, hot or cold? Uh, yeah, I want it, you know, iced. If frappuccino is iced, right? I'm not a, what are they, a barista? Okay, so, <laughs> all right. But the point is, I've had them ask me, okay, hot or cold? Uh, cold today, because it's hot outside. Or it's like, no, it's kind of chilly. I want that hot. They never ask you, do you want that lukewarm? One time I taught this. And a guy came up to me afterwards and was like, I like lukewarm coffee. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, no, I, I, I have ordered my coffee lukewarm. And I said, uh-huh. Why? Well, that way I can chug it. OK, so you're the one person on the planet who likes lukewarm coffee. Got it. But for the rest of us, I want it hot. Not McDonald's hot, where the lawsuit happens, where you burn yourself in 17-degree burn, whatever. Um, or I want it cold, where it's like a Frappuccino. Um, it's, they make that Frappuccino uh, splurt. We have a lot of Dutch bros people in here, huh? I better be careful. I'm going to get like hit up in the parking lot like, oh, you like your kneecaps? huh? <laughs> if you do, you're going to start going to Dutch. Anyway, the point is, I like it cold. I like it hot. If I drink lukewarm coffee, it's coming out. Am I wrong? Are you guys the same way? You're not going to do it. Why? It's gross. It's like, bleh. By the time the water got to Colossae, that was cold. Well, I can use that. At least it's cold. It's water whatever. Well, it was really hot in Hierapolis, so that's useful too. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. What do you do with that? You're either going to try to find a way to make it cold, or you're going to try to heat it up. And that's what the Lord's saying. He's like, hey, I wish you were either hot, because if you're hot, I can use you. You're hot for me. You're hot for the Lord. You're hot for the word of God and the gospel. Man, you're, I, I can use you. Ministry, man, go, go head on her. But what if you're cold? 
Well, the Lord says, I can deal with that too. I can work in your life. Whatever's happened in your life that you're struggling with, and that's kind of just brought you down and, and made you cold spiritually, I can work with that. But lukewarm, ugh, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. What do I do with that? Because you're not hot enough for me to use, and you're not cold enough for me to work with you and work on you and bring you back. You're just kind of there. It's kind of like one of those things where, you know what gets us lukewarm? Is compromise. This is sobering. It's sobering, and it should be. It's designed to be because the Lord's telling us as a church, and he's telling you and I as individuals, it's like, do not compromise with the enemy in your walk. Don't do it. What do you mean? Oh, it's meeting halfway. Oh, there's the enemy. Oh, no. I can't defend myself. So I'm going to, uh, he's, uh, he's going to attack, and I know it. So, okay, I'll just compromise. And we, we give and take, you know, we meet them halfway, and it's like, well, it, a little bit's not going to hurt me. And, and, that, and what it does is it, it cools us off, and it gets to a point where we're not hot and on fire for the Lord anymore because, you know, we got too much of the world in us to be happy in church and ministry, but we're too much of church and the Lord in us to be happy in the world. You're just kind of, eh, you're lukewarm. And what gets us there is compromise, compromising with the enemy, uh, doing things that we know is not good for us, dabbling in things that we know is wrong. And before you know it, we're just kind of meh, lukewarm. Keep us, Lord, from compromise. Don't compromise at all. I'm not going to compromise in my church. I'm not going to compromise in my devotional life. I'm not going to comp uh, compromise in my walk, in my purity. I'm going to stay 100% for the Lord, focused on him, moving in a direction that's close to him, as close to him as I can possibly be, and I'm not going to dabble, and I'm not going to play around, and I'm not going to look on the other side. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to compromise. Why? Because especially in these days, in this day and age where we're living, Man, do we have to be close to the Lord or what? Do we need to be on fire for the Lord or what? I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be cold. I know that the Lord can work with me if I do. But man, I don't want to be lukewarm. We do not compromise when it comes to the things of the Lord. Do not compromise when it comes to the things of your walk. You stay on the straight and narrow. You keep your eyes focused on him, and that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, I don't want you lukewarm. Hot or cold, I can work with that, but guess what, lukewarm? Mm-mm. What got him there? Compromise. It should not be said of us in today's church and to us as individuals. Verse 17, because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, yes, they were, and have need of nothing. I, I need nothing. I, I have everything I need. 
and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. God sees the heart. You know, we on the outside, we look really good. We sound really good. We put on masks. But you know what God sees? He sees what's going on right in here. That's what he sees. Oh, well, we look rich. I got everything I need. Christianese, I can talk the talk. I can make it look really good. But gosh, the Lord says, I see what's going on in your heart. You're wretched. I counsel you, verse 18, to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That's a common theme that we're being told by the Lord. It's a common theme throughout these churches. Turn and repent. Hey, are you dabbling? Are you compromising in something you know you shouldn't? Well, guess what? Repent. Turn from it. Cut it out so that you can get back on track and the Lord can use you in mighty ways because he'll turn you on fire for him. Because we realize the things of this world are passing away, and we shouldn't have any dealings with it in that regard. Gold refined in the fire. What did the refiners fire? What did they do? They took gold. It was it brought to them. They this was a process to well finally. How did they know when they were done? Right. Nothing came to the surface, but also too, as he looked down into that gold, he saw his own reflection. And that's how he knew, okay, this is pure gold. And so that's the idea. When Jesus sees his reflection in us as he's taking you through the fire, you're going through the fire, you're getting burned up, and you're getting, oh, man, the heat, you feel it, oh. And you know what? He's burning out impurities in you and me because there's still stuff in here that needs to get burned out. It still needs to come to the surface, and he wants to scrape that off. More heat. Oh, Lord, no. Yep, there's still stuff in there. Okay. Oh, selfishness. Good. Let's scrape that off. Oh, man, no, Lord, not more heat. Oh, oh good. Some pride. Yeah, let's get rid of that. And this, these impurities, and this continually happens because we're, it's the refiner's fire. You guys get what I'm saying? And then he says that you may be clothed, cover your uh, the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. It says, anoint your eyes with eyesaf. By the way, uh, Laodicea, in that day, they were known for their eyesaf. So this is very, this message would have hit home for them. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Listen to this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He's knocking on the door of people's hearts. Knock, 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 knock. Accept me. Knock, knock, knock. I want to be your Lord and Savior. Just accept me. Knock, 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 knock. 
and if people continually say, no, knock, 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 go to church, no, no, knock, 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 listen to what this guy has to say, he's witnessing to you, he's my servant, knock, 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 no, no, I don't want to hear it, no, no, and people will say no so many times until finally it will be impossible for them to say yes. He's only going to knock so long, and then finally it's like, okay. He's not going to force his love upon anybody. He will not do that. He'll knock, 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 but there's going to come a time where that stops because he knows, okay, have it your way. Verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant. Now watch this. This verse is important. You're going to have to get this because we're going to see it again. We're going to refer to it again when we get to chapter 7. I will grant to him who overcomes to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Hey, you stick with it. You don't compromise. Be faithful to the end, and guess what? I will grant you to sit on my throne with me. Wow. That is cool. You want to know why? Because we're going to see this again in chapter 7. And there is a stark differentiation between us, meaning you and me, the bride who believe today. I don't have to, well, I'll believe it when I see it. We're not those people. No, we believe it now, and we don't see it. Instead, we act in faith, and we say, Lord, come into my heart. I don't fully understand everything, but I know you're my Lord and Savior. God sent his son, which is you, to die on the cross for me. You did it voluntarily because you love me, and I believe that, and I accept that. We haven't seen all of those things. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly or dimly. We, it's murky, we, but in faith, that's where faith comes in, and we step out in faith, and we believe now without seeing. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. That's you and me today. Guess where we get to sit? On the throne. There's another group of people that mysteriously show up in chapter 7, and it's a differentiation between us and that group. You don't want to miss it. Be here for chapter 7. Be here for chapters 4, 5, and 6 as well. But you don't want to miss that because we're going to refer back to this scripture when we get there. You and I, we get to sit on the throne. How does that work? I, I don't know. What does it look like? No clue. But I believe it and I accept it. Amen? I'm excited. I'm fired up. To he who overcomes, as I also overcome, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I sat down with my father on his. Wow, so awesome. Oh, guess what? He who has an ear, <laughs> let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to you and me, the churches. What would the Lord say about our church today? This church. 
what do you think he would say? More importantly, well, maybe I shouldn't say more importantly, but just as important, what would the Lord say to you today, individually? I have to ask myself that. Lord, what do you see in me that I need to correct? Lord, are there indictments that you have with me? So, gosh, am I like Ephesus? Oh, we do all the right stuff. Man, if, if we're into theology, we, good, solid doctrine, ministry, man, we got it all. Oh, except the most important thing, love. I have this against you that you've left your first love. Love. Paul says, you know what? Um, I can be, I can speak in tongues to men and angels. I can have prophecy gifts, but guess what? If I don't have love, I'm a clanging cymbal, sounding brass. We can have all of that stuff, but what we need is to make sure that we have the love of God and the love of people as priority number one, or else all the rest doesn't matter. We have to love people. Remember, we talked about that. That's hard to do sometimes, but we have to have it. It's, it's imperative. We got to have love, and I believe this church has it. I believe there's love in this church. I really do. That's my heart. Like Smyrna. The Lord says, I see your persecution. I see your pain. And have no fear because there's going to be more of it. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. When they lock you up in jail for 10 days, guess what? I'm there with you. But stay faithful to the end, even to the death, because you will gain a crown. We could go through the, the churches. Pergamos and Thyatira, be careful, right? You know, they were involved in uh, eating food offered to idols. The whole idol thing kind of came in. And man, do we, uh, are we people that are prone to putting other things before the Lord, between us and God? Anything that comes between us and the Lord is an idol. It's taking away from him. It should not be so in our lives. Philadelphia. Oh, no indictment there. No, it's the church of the last days. They were all about love, love for the brethren, love for the unsaved, missionary work, being sent out. The door was opened that couldn't be shut. Things were shut that couldn't be opened, but God's in charge of the whole thing. He says, guess what? I opened the door and you went through it. Blessed are they who endure to the end. And finally, Laodicea. Be careful that you do not compromise your walk at all. Period. Zero tolerance for compromise. We do not give an inch to the enemy. We do not allow a, a, a toehold. Not anything. We do not want to become lukewarm. We would rather be hot for the Lord. He can use us in mighty ways. Lord, instill that in our hearts even today. What is it that you think in your life, rhetorical question, what would the Lord say to you right now? What would the Lord say to me 
This is his message to his church, to his bride. Jesus is speaking to his bride, and he's getting us ready for his return. And, you know, at weddings, guess what? Guys, sorry, but no one's looking at you. I mean, can we just accept that and know that? You look really good in your tux. Yeah, but stand over there because what are we all waiting for? The bride to walk through that door because that's where all the eyes are. The beautiful bride in her wedding dress, adorned. Oh, here she comes. That's what everyone cares about. Yeah, the, the groom, he's up here. So what? <laughs> but here's the thing. It's the opposite when it comes to us, the bride, that all gets switched around because now guess what? Now with us, we're the bride, but it's all about our groom. It's all about the Lord. When I became part of the church, when you became part of the church, all of a sudden it's not about I and me, it's about us and we. We're in this church community together we're part of the bride of Christ. And what we believe is this. We believe these were messages, these were letters to the church then, but gosh, we can identify, can't we? We look at these and we go, wow, I see myself. I struggle there. I need help there. I want to be better here. And that's what the Lord is saying to us. He's preparing us. That's what happens in an engagement, right? You spend as much time as you can together to get to learn, learn one another. Well, he knows everything possible about you and me. How much do we know about him? This is the time we spend right now. The time is short. Jesus says, behold, I'm coming quickly. So the time is short. So guess what? Got to be in this so we can learn everything about him that we can possibly learn because his coming is quick. It's going to be soon. I'm excited. Are you? Amen. Let's close in prayer. And do we have a song after? Okay. So you guys can come on up as I pray. Lord God, thank you so much again for us going through these awesome chapters, chapters two and three, your church, letters to the church, Father, you revealing yourself to your bride. You're preparing us, Lord, for your return. It's a perfect picture of the Jewish wedding, Lord, as we can even get into that later in detail. But, Lord, it's the perfect picture, Father. You are waiting for your father to tell you, go get your bride. And whenever that will be, Lord, we will rejoice. But until then, we still rejoice knowing that, Lord, we're trying to be faithful to the end, even unto death. And however that looks, whatever that looks like, what... Whatever that means, Father, Lord, would you instill in each and every one of our hearts, Lord, uh, your purpose for us. As we've gone through these churches, Lord, we've seen things that we can definitely identify with. Lord, if there's anything in our hearts individually, Lord, show us. Father, do you have an indictment against me? If so, please let me have a heart that wants to be corrected. Lord, do you have something in, in this church, Lord, that should be corrected? Father, give us a heart that can be corrected, Lord. Instill that in us. Lord, let us be a church filled with love for you, 
and also love for people because without that, nothing else matters, Father. Lord, so we thank you for this message. Thank you for your love. God, thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for us. We thank you for salvation. We look forward to your coming, Lord. Lord, we're tired. We are weary. But Lord, we're pressing on. Make us hot, Lord, for you. Use us in mighty ways, we pray. Not just here for each other, but Lord, in, in a world out there, Father, outside these doors. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. And be honored tonight, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.